Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to come to you once again on this Monday, August 10th of 2020. I pray that you had uh, a good weekend uh, with your families. And as always, we are so privileged and honored that you could join us today on this podcast. We want to get straight into the Word of God. We are looking forward to this week, what God has for us. I know that God is faithful, and he always has fresh manna for us. And and all the things that God is showing us, everything is with a purpose. And so we are happy today. Our hearts are open, and we're so glad that we can study the Word of God together. Today in our panel, we are so happy to have Brother Marty, uh, Brother Fernando, uh, together as always to be able to study the Word of God. It's always an honor and a privilege. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you today. Uh, to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back again today, this Monday. We're in the the dog days of summer, as they say. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, we were talking before the broadcast today, you know, it really does feel like we've come to that place uh, where... uh, to borrow a line from one of my favorite stories, uh, it's the deep, it's the deep breath before the plunge. It feels like there is a, almost like the pause button has been hit. Hit. It 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 feels as if uh, many people are are fatigued. Obviously, I mean that goes without saying. But but we're talking about the people of God. <clears throat> we're not really addressing the world in that sense, but but we're focusing on the people of God and where we are and where we're headed in the next uh, several weeks and and months ahead and 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 even more importantly the thing that we're about to look at as we begin a new series we had a great time in the gospel of st john <laughs> over 17 podcasts on chapter 20 and 21 but but in Amen. the in the interim of those teachings wow. you know the lord the lord began i know the Lord began to really uh, move in our hearts uh, concerning what we're going to talk about now. We feel the time is now, and and uh, and we're going to reflect on on the prophet Jeremiah. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about some things that that God began to to use him to do at a particular time of the nation's history. We see tremendous parallels between the the days of Judah during the time of the prophets and and what we see in our country transpiring today. And while we, uh, you know, we reflect on many things, we must take the historical accounts that are given to us in the scriptures in order that we'll understand the times that we find ourselves in. We sincerely believe that we're not just in the last days. We have, we have come to the, the very threshold of what the Bible calls the end, the end times. Things are happening incredibly rapidly. Things are happening and moving at a a speed, both publicly seen, you know, as we see in the public square, but there's also much that's transpiring behind the scenes. And so it's incumbent upon us as the people of God to continue to persevere, to continue to pray, to continue to seek God by his word, and and not to forsake ourselves, uh, you know, the assembling of ourselves together, especially as we see the day approaching. And so we're going to begin a new series today. Uh, and we'll see uh, how far this takes us, but we, we will 
we will ring it out, as they say, uh, until we, we exact what the Holy Spirit allows us to to examine. And so with that in mind, we begin a new study today on the prophet Jeremiah and his word uh, to his times. And uh, we're going to be coming to you. We hope you have your Bibles with us so that you can follow along in what uh, what we're going to look at. We're going to begin a series of of of, of looking at Jeremiah 26 through Jeremiah 29 over the next several sessions. But we're going to begin today with Jeremiah chapter 26. And so we're going to begin there. And I'd like Brother Jeremy, if he could, as is our custom, to uh, to begin our study, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to and, and read to us from verse 1 through verse 3 uh, as we begin uh, uh, to examine the Word of God in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy, would you do that for us, please? Yes. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them diminish not a word. If so, be they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. <laughs> my, my. Uh, <laughs> uh, my goodness, where to begin? Uh, one of the things that we need to understand is, is, uh, is the timing of the message. And Jeremiah identifies the timing of the message in, in chapter 26 here. Uh, he says it was in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, came this word from the Lord. And then as what Brother Jeremy read, it's it's very interesting to to, to get a little bit of background here on what was going on. First of all, when Jeremiah uses the word as the, as the Holy Spirit had him pin the word here, he says, in the beginning. And that's a very interesting phrase because you'll you'll rarely find it in, in, in all the Old Testament. It's the same in the beginning that was used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And this is very interesting, right? Because the Lord sets the tone here by his spirit to let us know that something new was about to happen. A new action was coming. And and really what was about to happen in, in Jeremiah chapter 26 is this was the signal point. This was the, the, the alert point, if you will, <clears throat> to the last era of the kings. It would culminate with the temple and the city of Jerusalem being destroyed. And it would culminate with with the burning of the house of God and the and the carrying away captive of the people of Israel. It, it's it's very interesting, and we'll get into it in a second here. But but before we get into the actual word, let, let's just think a little bit about Jeremiah here. And I think it's important, as I was meditating on it this morning, and and that's this: is that Jeremiah was a prophet that was uniquely called uh, at his time. He was he was called by God in a time of what appeared to be a great awakening, and I just remind you, brothers, just jump in at any time because I know you you've been studying these words too. 
when Jeremiah received his call, he was called at the time when King Josiah was the king. And yet he would also prophesy all the way through Josiah unto the end where he would witness the actual destruction of the nation. So he was unique as a prophet because unlike the prophets that were before him, he was a prophet who was raised up to guide the nation and to warn the nation uh, of its its impending uh, judgment from God. It was the culmination of generations that had come before it. And Jeremiah gives us a little background history there. And, and Brother Jeremy, would you turn over there real quick to Jeremiah chapter 1 and, and read to us uh, the first three verses there so we can get a little background here? Yes. And that's uh, chapter 1, verses 1? One through three, please. Okay. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. It's kind of interesting because according to the Hebrew calendar, as we sit here recording this today, we are in the fifth month of the Hebrew calendar, which is uh, the equivalent of of August in the Hebrew calendar. This this is the month of August. So, you know, I, I find it interesting the Lord has us here at this time uh, and, and, and in this word. But here in what Brother Jeremiah, uh, Jeremy read, we see that the word of the Lord in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, it came to him in the days of Josiah, uh, uh, the son of Ammon of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So, And, and then he, he gives us uh, a whole list uh, of, of kings, successive kings that, and transitionings of power. So he was there basically for for the three major kings that he points out, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and then Zedekiah. But he says that my prophecy or my ministry lasted all the way until the carrying away captive of Jerusalem in the month of Av or in, or in, or in the month of August as we sit here today. What's fascinating to me is that is that the word of the Lord, the timing of the word of the Lord as it began to come to Jeremiah, it began in the days of Josiah, and when you go read the history of King Josiah, you will see that he came into the throne uh, and, and became the king when he was only eight years old. And 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 as he grew, uh, he would institute what what appeared to be uh, one of the greatest revivals, except for maybe under the reign of Hezekiah, one of the greatest revivals that Israel had ever seen. He would actually go and tear down the altars and uh, that his grandfather uh, Manasseh had set up, and he would tear down uh, the altars of his own father, uh, Ammon, who was a wicked king of Judah. So what, is, what appeared to be a, a revival instituted by the king, uh, it, it seems to be almost like, uh, what's the right word, uh, almost contradictory to the time. I guess this is the best way to say it. 
is when you consider that Jeremiah's ministry began during a time of national awakening, his message that God gave him was completely different than what appeared to be happening on the surface. You know, we have this great revival, this great awakening under Josiah, but the word of the Lord that the Lord sent to Jeremiah was completely different. And we've we've studied this in the past a little bit, where when the word comes to him, he asked Jeremiah, what are you seeing? Can you read that to us um, in verse uh, 11 and 12, brother, of chapter 1? Yes. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Now what we read and the there, word, is, well, wait, that's good right there, because that's the first thing that Jeremiah sees in verse 11 and 12. That's the first vision that God gives him, and he asks him, what is it that you see? So in verse 11, under the or the administration, if you will, or the rulership of Josiah, under this great national awakening, uh, the Lord gives him a vision, and, and, and then he asks him, what is it that, that you're seeing? And he said, I see the rod of an almond tree. And that's very sim symbolic. The almond tree was always symbolic of, of judgment. Uh, so whenever you read about the almond tree, it speaks of judgment. But he says, I see the rod of an almond tree. It indicates that it's like a branch, you know, the corrective branch or the first shoot of a branch like in springtime. So what he sees and what he perceives by what the Lord showed him is that is that something is going to spring forth and, and, it, and it involves correction to the nation. And the Lord said to him in verse 12, you have seen well, because what you have seen, he goes on to say, I'm going to quickly perform it. It's going to happen quickly. Now, quickly in the terms of how God sees quick, right? Whether it's 20, 30 years, to us, it seems like, you know, three, four decades. But to God, that's just the blink of an eye. What's interesting to right. me here, right? What's interesting to me is what, what he says in, in uh, verse 11 is, is, <clears throat> is the development of the prophet himself. See, many times when God moves, and when God begins to speak, especially when he begins to address national sin, because that's what we're talking about here, a nation that's just, you know, a few years away from its absolute destruction. He raises up men of God, which Jeremiah will go on a little bit later as we look at it, to remind them of. He he, he raises up men of God, and and. And they, they seem to come out of nowhere, and they seem to come with a message that seems to be contrary, at first, to be contrary to what everybody else is preaching. And what we mean by this is that Jeremiah laid out the resume there, right? He said, I was here when Josiah was king. I was here when Jehoiakim was king. I was here when Zedekiah was king. I was here all the way up to the actual destruction of the nation. So he was unique to his times and his ministry spanned uh, multiple decades. But in this particular sense, the very first thing, it kind of sets the tone for the calling that came upon him. He was called uniquely to prophesy 
of 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 not prophecies that would occur a hundred years or two hundred years down the line, but prophecies that would actually occur within his very own lifetime, and that's what makes him unique. And, and there's much that we can learn here in that the Lord asks him. And the Lord is asking his men and women of God today, right? What do you see? What is it that you actually see? And when we come to when we come to the 26th chapter here, what we're going to see is that there were two competing messages that were that were flowing into the nation at the time that were occurring precisely at the moment when the nation was just a few years uh, away from from absolutely uh, being judged by God, her prophets, her priests, her people, because of the sin of the nation. And so what we don't see and what we learn from this, too, is that God has his people, and he's been speaking to his people like he did in the days of Jeremiah, and he might have you in a place where nobody knows where you are, but God is speaking and speaking and developing this. Right, his men and women of God, and so he asked Jeremiah, "What is it that you see?" Verse eleven, and that's what God is asking us today: "What is it that you actually see?" Jeremiah responded correctly. He says, "What I actually see is, is judgment is on is on the doorstep. We're here, and the Lord tells him, you are seeing correctly.'" Why is this important when we dig into this? We're talking about the prophet and his ability to see prophetically. And and there are many contrawise voices as we go into Jeremiah's story in this series that we will see there were many prophets that rose up against him and tried to, to bring to the national attention that the word that Jeremiah was hearing was not the true word, that their words were what they saw. What they saw was prosperity. What they saw was great recovery. What they saw was <clears throat> was a nation was going to emerge out of this this turmoil that it found itself in. And Jeremiah comes into this climate and says, "No, that's not it at all. It was right. completely right. It was the complete opposite of what others were seeing." You going to say, Brother Marty? And I think it's an important question, especially us preachers of today we have to ask ourselves that same question. What are we seeing? What are we hearing? Are we truly hearing from God? Because if we're not, we're in a lot of trouble. We're going to give an account to God. We must be sure that we are hearing the voice of the Spirit in this hour and declaring the things. And and sometimes when God speaks or it, it seems that it's gonna, it's always going to go against the culture, society, or of the word of that day. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we're going against the wave. But I think it's an it's a question, especially if there's a preacher and you're listening to this podcast, we must ask ourselves, are we seeing what God is seeing? Are we truly hearing from God? Yes. Excellent. And that, and that's exactly what ended up happening, right? Jeremiah had been prophesying extensively, uh, but he prophesied under the under the reign of Josiah, like we said, which is which was a, a time when it seemed like everything was great. He reminds me a lot of, of some of the preachers that you read about in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. You know, 
uh, like Ravenhill and Wilkerson and Brother Tozer and even Brother Havner, for those of you who, are, <laughs> who would know who he is, a great, great man of God, a Baptist preacher, but prophets all. And they, they were raised up by God in the United States at a time when it seemed that America was coming out of World War II. It was the greatest industrial power that the world had ever seen. Uh, you know, it was happy days are here again. World War II is over. We're, we're, uh, we're expanding as a nation, so forth and so on. And into the midst of this come these men warning the church. Again, for those of you who are listening, understand that what we're talking about when it comes to these kinds of words is, is God dealing with his people. And why we liken to these things, if we're going to take the template of the prophetic times and apply them uh, to our nation, it is precisely because like Judah of old, like Israel of old, we are a people that have been assembled uh, and the inception, and contrary to the, the you know, to the contrary, uh, contrary to, to the to the pundits of today that say that you know America be we were just a bunch of bad people who started this nation, you know, white privilege, all that stuff you want to talk about. That's not true. You know, the nation was started, you know, on its knees. The nation began. Our nation began uh, appealing to heaven. It was a ragtag militia that, that got together and, and kneeled in, in the snows of Virginia and, 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 and up in the East Coast there and asked God to, to deliver them from the mighty British Empire. There's no way this nation could have survived except for the hand of God upon a few godly men who cried out to God. Perfect men? Of course not. Who is? The point is it was a nation that was brought across the sea and born by the hand of God and 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 the appeal to to divine providence for for God's blessing and God's assistance in creating a, a great nation, probably the greatest nation that the planet Earth has ever seen, without a doubt. And and so when we when we apply these historical templates to our country, it is it is with that lens in mind that we are a people that have claimed to be a Judeo-Christian society and have witnessed the the abundant blessing of God upon the nation, unlike any nation before it, probably since the days of, of, of Israel, of Judah. And when you look at the parallels of what began to happen to the nation, it became religiously professional, <laughs> but it became privately perverse in its in the way that it lived and conducted itself. And so when Jeremiah began his ministry, it was in a time or in a season of great blessing and, and national renewal, but it would only give way after Josiah the king passed away to what was really at the heart of the nation. There's a scripture, and I, I, can't, I can't think of where it is right now, but it's, it's in there. I'll look for it, maybe bring it up tomorrow. But basically it talks about how that the sins of, of the previous kings was so great that even when they had a national leader that tried to lead the nation back to God, once that national leader was gone, the people quickly went back to to really what was in their spiritual DNA. You know, they were a people of idolatry, a people of compromise, a people that thought that they could live like the world and yet come into the house of God and 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 and, and without without any change of heart or without any change in the way that they lived. And so for a series of, of years leading up to this time of Jeremiah, the prophets had come and preached to them that if they didn't turn, 
that the inevitable consequence of their refusal to repent, to acknowledge their sin, and to return unto God would result in the absolute destruction of the temple and the removal of the people from the land and the burning of the holy city of God, Jerusalem. And so that brings us to chapter 26, uh, which is where it all began this morning, right? We, we began to talk about, as Jeremiah now comes, Josiah is off the scene, and, and this word comes to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 26, where it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. I think it's interesting that God identifies who his father was, right? He's the son of Josiah or his grandfather, really. He's the son of Josiah. And I think God puts those two, uh, puts Josiah out there to to completely um, be a, a the opposite of what Jehoiakim was. Right. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was the complete opposite of his grandfather. His grandfather, who had led a national revival, Josiah, um, he's completely opposite in that. He's a corrupt king. It was actually installed because understand there's a lot of political intrigue going on here. A lot of change was happening around Judah and the nations of the world of the known world at that time. Uh, Jehoiakim was installed in, into power. His, his name, his real name, is Eliakim. And and when he was placed in power by Pharaoh Necho was his name. Pharaoh uh, uh, and, and the Egyptian Pharaoh uh, installed him in, into the leadership. His grandfather, Josiah, was slain, which is very interesting, on the battlefield of Megiddo. There was a war that was taking place, a displacement of, of, of the powers in the region, and Pharaoh Necho came, and, and Josiah's life was taken on the fields of Armageddon, believe it or not. When he came down into where Judah was, uh, he he put them under heavy taxation, and and as a as a gesture to the to the people, he he chose one of uh, Josiah's uh, ancestors or or in the lineage of Josiah of the house of David, and that's how Eliakim came to power. And then he changed his name to Jehoiakim, and he placed him in power and put them under heavy taxation. And that's that's uh, that's how he came to power, Jehoiakim. But he was a wicked king. He was someone who didn't adhere to the word of God, and 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 that's why Jeremiah contrasts it here by naming who his father was, Josiah, almost as to contrast the complete difference of 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 one righteous generation now uh, giving way to to an unrighteous generation, which in many senses sealed the fate of the nation. The clock was ticking. Because in the background, in the historical background, there was a there was a power that was rising. Power that would come into fruition in a matter of eight years from that point. That would be the power of the Babylonian Empire. The rise of, of the global empire of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And so when this word comes forth Jeremiah is just several years before before this Nebuchadnezzar would rise up and dominate the planet. So it's really a time of, of prophecy 
in a time of prophetic fulfillment that has implications that would that would reach far into the distant future and come to rest in the end of time. It's the spirit behind it. It's a global empire that was about to rise and subjugate the entire world. And in this mix of the Gentile nations, there were the people of God. They had become so hard and so devoid of the ability of of the Spirit of God or the Word of God to impact their conscience that they were now coming into the house of God in a completely and thoroughly compromised way and feeling absolutely no conviction in the house of God, in the temple of God that Solomon built. I mind you, that temple at one time when Solomon dedicated had the glory of God fall in that temple to such an extent that if you go back and read it in the book of Kings, you'll find that when the glory of God came at the dedication of that temple, the presence of God was so heavy that the priests and and the people, they, they couldn't even stand in the presence of God in his house to minister. The glory of God had filled that temple so great. Only a matter of a few hundred years later to come to this point, where they could now come into the house of the Lord and in in such a compromised way and feel absolutely no conviction of the Holy Spirit. Gone were the great prophets of old. Gone were the great priests and and Levites and and, and godly men who had once uh, walked the courtyards, who who had offered the sacrifices, who had prayed daily, who who had called the people to live righteously. And now we, we culminate now with this Jehoiakim in power. And the nation doesn't even realize that it's, it's only a few years away now. The, the, the clock is ticking quickly. And God raises up Jeremiah in, in the 26th chapter and brings him this word. And he tells him, right? <laughs> and I want you to understand something. What's really interesting here is that what you're about to see and we'll see. We can't go through all of this today, but we're just gonna we're gonna get into it a little bit uh, in the next few moments. But what you're about to see was a word that God had given to Jeremiah uh, several years before. It was a word that Jeremiah had been holding on to, and he had not spoken it, but God had revealed it to him. And you can find it in in Jeremiah chapter seven. You'll find that the word of the Lord actually came that He's now about to deliver. So it appears that the, this actual word that we're about to look into and examine in, in today and tomorrow is is a word that God gave to Jeremiah quite possibly under the reign of Josiah for the future king. And so when you actually come to this, and we'll, we'll look at it real quick in a second here, but when when, he, when the word, when it says in verse 1 that, that uh, came this word, let's read it again. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord saying, now go stand in the court of the Lord's house. The time had come. This is a lesson to to those of you who, who get words from the Lord, from his word sometimes, you know, we're not always called to right away make it public. There's timing to everything that God does. There are things that you will see, things that God will reveal, but that doesn't mean you need to go out in the public square and begin to just blab it until God tells you to. Uh, because everything that God does is perfect 
and everything that he does has a season and a moment and a time when he wants it accomplished. And, and we'll look at that in a second, but what you're going to see is that the time has arrived for this word. And the first thing that he tells him and brings him into the message is in verse 2. Can you read verse 2, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. So he has a word that he's coming to deliver. It's the word that was given to him years before. The time has come. And and But before he goes to deliver the word, he first tells the prophet how he's to approach bringing the word forward. How are you supposed to do it? The first thing he tells him is, is, is to Jeremiah, his prophet, he says, go stand in the court of the Lord's house. And that's very interesting how he deals with his prophet because basically what he's saying there is it's time to take your stand. It's time to take a stand. That's literally what it means to stand up and, and, and to, and to stand with kind of like with your heels dug in, you know, in strength, in power, in authority of the Lord. And he says, you go stand like that. You go stand in, in the power of my anointing. This is important because the days are upon us now where a word is coming forth into into America. And it's really been here for a long time, but we're going to see it. And it's already happening. But, but, But it's very much the kind of case that God is calling his servants to right now where he says, listen, you go stand now. The time has arrived. That's why verse Chapter 26, verse 1 begins, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. It's now time for you, in verse 2, he says, to go stand. Because something new has just happened. Whether anyone could else could recognize it, and as you get into this, you'll see nobody actually could recognize what was actually taking place. But he tells Jeremiah, it's time for you to go take a stand. The time has arrived. And this is important. Because of what else he goes on to say. Can you read verse 2 again, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. This is really powerful because... We have the the Lord addressing his prophet before the prophet actually addresses the people. This is vital to understand that if you have something from God, you better know that it's from God, number one. Number two, you better go in the authority that God has given you to give it. And what's interesting, he says, go stand in the court of the Lord's house. He identifies, this is my house. This is my church. (laughs) These are my people. You know, they don't belong to the religious establishment. They're all guests in my house, in other words. I I need someone to come and stand in my house, Jeremiah. That's what he's saying. 
and and yeah. and I want you to speak and notice notice because what the what's about to come forth is he's about to confront them for the way they've been living for generations. And notice what he says. He goes, I want you to speak unto all the cities of Judah. It wasn't a particular region, you know. It wasn't just San Francisco or Vegas, right? <laughs> it was all. Yeah. It was all right. the cities, right? It was all the cities. He was telling them, you go talk to all of them, because that's how pervasive this was. That it had filtered throughout all the cities. And he says, you go, what the word that you're going to speak, and now what, why is he saying in the court, you know, because they were coming up to the festivals. You know, they would come into the house of the Lord. And, and this particular time from some of the research I did, it, it, was a, it was a time of national reflection. Like I said, remember, we just had this, this, this power from Egypt, Pharaoh Nico, install this king, Jehoiakim, change his name from Eliakim to Jehoiakim, put him in power. And now the nation's under a, 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 an uneasy sense of, of turmoil. They've become used to the imposition of, 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 of dark spiritual forces now dominating them. And they couldn't recognize it. They knew they should come to the house of the Lord, which is what they were doing. But God sent his prophet into the midst of it. Now understand, this temple is massive. So when he has him standing in the court, courtyard of the house or the court of the house of the Lord, you're talking about kind of like the Vatican. I've talked to it many times because I can't think of any other, maybe, you know, I can't think of any other place on the earth other than the Vatican where you have these, this giant gathering place. Those of you who are familiar, uh, the Vatican in Rome, you actually go to the Vatican and there's this massive courtyard that's outside the actual inside church part of it, right? This is massive marble gathering courtyard on the outside of the Vatican where the crowds come whenever they want to hear the Pope. That's kind of what Jeremiah was in. He, he said, you go stand there because that's where the people would gather and mill about. And so into this, he says, you're going to have to go there because up underneath this intense shift and turmoil, this, this boiling of the water of, of the culture, so to speak, um, they're coming to my house now. There's a sense that, that, you know, there's transition taking place. You've had the imposition. Think of it. These are the people who had been delivered from Egypt. But now they have a new king, and he's been installed there by the very pharaoh or the, a, a man in the line of the pharaohs who, who, who hundreds of years before they had been delivered from. And so there's a real sense of national unease. They've been through Manasseh, they've been through Ammon, they've been through Josiah, and now Josiah's dead, and now they have Jehoiakim installed. And so there's been such a transition of leadership, and there's a real sense of, of unease amongst the people. And so because they're a religious people, they respond religiously. But this is different. This is a different time because the installing of this Jehoiakim, it, it began the clock ticking as if all the prophecies from the time of Isaiah up until now were about to come to pass in this generation. And indeed, that was what was going to happen. And that's why God now sends his prophet and says, now is the time for you to take your stance. He needed strong men of God to do this. He needed a Jeremiah. <laughs> 
to do this, who had been in training now. He's probably around 40 years old at this point or so. And he comes and he's fully grown. He's fully anointed. And he's about to take a stand anointed by the Spirit of God to try and wake up God's people. They're on the edge. They're on the brink. And so he sends him. And then what he says to him, look at what he says. He says, go and speak to all the cities of Judah. And then he shows the phoniness, right, which come to worship in the Lord's house. You're talking about a culture here that was so deeply, uh, you know, imbibing or participating in, in the heathen practices around them. They were burning incense to false gods. In our time, that would equate to compromised Christianity, just allowing anything to come in. You know, you can do anything, say anything, dress any way, listen to any kind of music, go anywhere you want to go, and then come on Sundays and, and, and pretend that you're actually following the Lord. Mm. That's what he's he's trying to say here. He says, you go and it's, the time has arrived. The clock has begun to tick. Now you need to go stand in the middle of the courtyard in, 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 in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. Take your stand because they come to worship in the Lord's house carrying the, the, the baggage and, and the dirt and the soot of their hearts and their minds. And yet they come into this state of religious practice. The whole nation's uneasy. There's a transition of power that's taken place, and they don't have a clue that they've now entered into the last days of their, of their nationhood status and their favored status among me or with me, which they attained, by the way, not by their own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers, for whom I've kept covenant all these years. Now you go and take a stand. And, and then he says, Go speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. Verse 2, all the words that I commend thee. <laughs> I find that really powerful that God emphasizes to him. Listen, it is not a fun thing to, be, to, to, to speak about serious matters such as this, matters that are involving the nation state itself, the, the people of God themselves. The prophet's well aware the kind of people these are and where he's walking in the central most powerful place throughout the whole nation this is solomon's temple this is jerusalem where the king reigns and this is where he comes and he says you speak everything i have told you to speak that i command thee to speak and then he says this he says speak unto them in verse two and then he says what diminish not a word. That's powerful. Because literally what he's telling him is, this word you're about to bring forth, he says, he says, don't water it down. Don't diminish it. The time for easing into the word was now past, right? Uh, this word has to be spoken in power, and it has to be spoken without fear of men. And it needs to be spoken now. And don't cut it, right? <laughs> don't diminish it. Speak it the way I gave it to you. And that's what he was sent to do. Now, Brother Jeremy, could you read to us 
verse 3 through 6. Now he begins. He begins to tell him what, what to say. If so be they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doing. And thou sh shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If you will not hearken to me, to walk in my law which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened. Then will I make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. <laughs> That's intense, man. I mean, just think about the weight and the burden of what he's about to say and speak. But what you see here in verse 3, first of all, is is the long-suffering of the Lord. Even though they were just days away, a few years away now, from having Nebuchadnezzar come down and, and take away this king, and then a few short years after that, ultimately burn the temple and the, and the city to the ground. The Lord has this promise. He's still extending his hand of mercy. He still holds out his hand, even though he knows what's going to happen. And even though he knows that they will harden their hearts, he yet tells Jeremiah, if so be that they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, verse 3, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doing. He's yet saying, what he's saying there is, listen, you're going to go preach this word to them, but if they will turn and listen, I will yet prevent the judgment that, that I'm purposing to bring upon them from coming. It shows God's long suffering. It shows that he still yet was extending a hand to his people to repent in order to, to stop the judgment that would come. And I'm saying that, and brothers, you can talk anytime you want here. Listen, I'm saying that because I think that, you know, even now in this late hour for our nation, where we find ourselves right now, God is extending his hand of mercy to his people in the hopes that, that we will turn and repent. Yeah. One of the things that, that we have failed to see since the beginning of this year up until this point is, is, is a true word of repentance emerging from the national ministry, truly calling the people to repentance, to acknowledge our sin. Look what God says in verse 3. If they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way. Doesn't that sound like Second Chronicles 7.14, the thing they like to quote all the time? Yes. Yeah. If my people, which are called by my name, right, will humble themselves and what and turn from their wicked ways, that's what he said. And 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 here he's telling Jeremiah, if they'll just turn, if they'll just stop. See, this is the danger of compromise in the things of the believer's life. It may start with a little this or that, right, that we allow, and we ignore the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. 
But over time, those things will filter in and hook the person and bind the person and, and deaden the conscience of the person and the nation so that they think that they can come before the Lord and have absolutely no sense of conviction or a sense that they aren't living the way they should be living. It's the most dangerous of places to be because there's no way to reach a person who thinks in his self-righteousness that he's okay when God sends him a word and says you're not okay. And the fact of the matter is is that you're precariously hanging over the precipice and judgment is coming as a result of your compromise in your sin and your inability to turn from the evil of your doings. But if you will, he says, it's the first thing he, he tells the prophet, if they'll listen to me, I will not bring the judgment that I intend to bring. It is the same hand that's being extended to this country today and to the church in this country and to its leadership in this country. God is saying, if you will listen to me, if you will acknowledge that there's something wrong, there's a sickness. At the very heart of the leadership down that is filtered down through those that, that refuse to hearken and listen, there's a sickness that's come upon the country. I'm thinking that we were talking about this off air. There was one of the major evangelical leaders in our country, right? He just recently resigned from his university because he was caught, you know, with, with his. It's horrible even to say he had his he had his pants unzipped. What were you telling me, brother Fernando? Yeah, he, he he had his pants unzipped, holding on to a, a young lady who was dressed provocatively uh, while they were vacationing in their uh, million-dollar yacht. Surrounded yeah, by he was act- yeah, go ahead, bro. He was actually he was actually put on a leave, uh, a, a leave, not resigned, but he was he was forced to like on a leave of absence from his uh, his position. Right. But this party they were at, you were telling me, was on a yacht, and they were imitating some trashy show they all watched together. You know, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, some costume party where they're all drinking and walking around half naked. And and I did a little research and read about it. Half the staff of the university was there. You know, the the, the secretaries, his wife was even there. And they were all walking around, you know, half-dressed. And and we're not talking about the world here now. We're talking about the most, probably the most successful uh, Christian university in the country. The president resigned as a result, or stepped down, as you said, from it, because they posted a picture of him with his pants unzipped, holding on to a young lady whose pants were unzipped and her top pulled all the way up. And he's got what looks to be wine in his hand. Whether it is or it isn't, we don't know. And behind him was the staff of the university and their families, uh, their their wives and other young ladies running around crazy. And 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 this this is the people of God. And they think that they and they think that they have that there's nothing wrong with that. This is one of the leading campaign advisors to the Trump administration. Right. <laughs> okay, so why are you saying that? Because this is this is indicative. Am I pointing the finger at them? No, I'm pointing the finger at all of us. We all need to examine ourselves. Where are we? 
Do you realize how precariously we hang over the precipice right now in this country? All you have to do is open your eyes and look around and see what's happening all around the country, all around the world. Remember what we're talking about when God sent the prophet to, it's the last moment, it's the waning moment. But it's the compromise and the sin. It's the sense of sense of religious favoritism. You know, they had this belief that that they were immune to anything because they were the people of God. And you know, this is Jerusalem. This is Solomon's temple. How could anything possibly happen to us? They had no idea how close they were. And and here we see him saying, but even then, notice what he says in verse three. If so be that they will hearken, then I will I will not bring judgment. The first thing he says is, if they will really listen, but they won't. We know what happens. They won't listen. And he says, so you, know, you shall... Go ahead, Bruce. I just wanted to say, in, it, it even goes beyond that they won't listen. They're going to fight it. They will. They will. Com- they completely fight against the word of God as they opposed all the prophets got together, and instead of listening, they got offended, <laughs> and, and they conspired, even to threaten Jeremiah to death. Right. So, you know. It, you know, it, it, and it's it's not even a a an ignorance that people don't know. It's a willful one. It's it's a re- yeah. it's a rejection of the word of God that goes beyond, you know, I didn't know, no. It goes, it's just, it's a willful rejection and to the point to even fight the true, the word of God, the word of God. Think about this. Jesus uh, comes in at a time in his ministry where for 400 years, there's a, 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 um, a silence of sorts, right? with the few remnant here and there, you know, the Simeons, the, the prophet is Anna and here, but the leadership as a whole, you know, had a control. And here comes Jesus, the very word, and confronts them and tells them. And we see that Jesus, not at the end of his ministry, from the beginning of his ministry, he is being already threatened. They're trying to kill him. The very truth of God, the, the 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 word of God himself being from the beginning of his ministry being followed, persecuted, slandered, and everything else that you can think of. So it's a willful ignorance is what I'm trying to say. Because the truth, the truth that Jeremiah was prophesying to them confronted them, confronted their lifestyle, confronted what they were saying, the prophecies that they were seeing that were not coming to pass. So, uh, amen. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And and that's that's where we go as we continue to go down into the verse. That's exactly what happens. He says he says in verse four. He says, "You shall say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If you will not hearken." Notice how the heart of God here again. You know, He's extending His national uh, His hand uh, to the nation in 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 mercy first. He wants them to turn. God is not into destroying. He's into giving life. You know, and even when we talk about in in these ways, people are so, you know, undeveloped, spiritually speaking. So even when we talk about, 
you know, certain lifestyles and certain ways of living. The way that people hear it, because they've been so uh, corrupted by false preachers and false prophets over decades, that if you even talk about right and wrong, you know, light and darkness, you know, do this, don't do that, they immediately run to the side of a hyper-grace sort of thinking that we're free to do these things. You're trying to put me under some religious constraint and some burden of the law. That's not it at all. You know, we're, we're talking about that God has, God has standards, right, brother? I mean, he, <laughs> he expects us to live a certain way. There should be – yeah, go ahead, brother. Go ahead, finish. No, go ahead, finish no, no, that no. thought. <clears throat> well, he expects no, us to going live – going along, going along with what you're saying there, Jeremiah chapter 6 and 8 <clears throat> deals with the heart of the people. Um, of his day, he says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? He asked the question. He said, no. They were not all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. So it got to the point where these sins, right, these these wrongdoings, uh, they wouldn't even blush at them anymore. And it's kind of what yeah. you're talking about with the whole hyper-grace message, you know, yeah. when when when, when you know, sin, you know, it, when, when the ministry, the ministers are caught in, in sin and sexual sin or whatever, perversion, people don't even blush. The preachers don't even blush because they're under grace, right? And, yeah. and, and there's no standard of morality anymore. The bar sets so low, you know, and, and it's like you, you talk about these things to people and it's like, no, that's okay. It's just, you know, we, let's not be too critical. You know, and it's like, <laughs> what? what? What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't 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 be a Pharisee and judge. You know, with all under the blood and and grace covers all. What? You're right. You know, yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly Incredible. right, and that's why. Yeah, and that's why God, I think, sent Jeremiah in verse two, where He told him, you know, you're going to have to take a stand here. You're going to come up under resistance, like Brother Jeremy was just talking about. They fought against Him. You know, I mean, you're going to have to stand in the court of the Lord's house, stand there and, and, and dig your heels in because that's what it's going to require. But it's done out of love. You know, they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet, right? He wasn't, you know, <laughs> he wept before he publicly condemned, you know, before he brought the condemnation of the sins of the nation to them. He was in his prayer closet crying over the sins of the people and pleading with God to, to forgive them. But it was inevitable because they, they they persisted in what they were doing. And and again, in verse 5, right, it, God says, you know, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, rising up early and sending them, but you haven't listened to me. But, but, but you haven't listened. He's reminding them uh, this warning and now the impending judgment that's coming. It's not an all of a sudden thing. That's what he's trying to say. What's happening to you and what will happen not very many days from now, he says, it's not going to be like all of a sudden. It's not like you're going to go, oh, my God, what happened? He's trying to remind them, I sent prophets to you well in advance. When I first began to see the seeds that would blossom into compromise and full-fledged adultery, idolatry, oppression of the widow and the poor, all of it, throw it all in there the corruption from the royal houses all the way down to the cities of Judah. When I first began to see these things, 
when you became incredibly prosperous and then your hearts began to turn away from me, go read the book of Isaiah. Read the first chapter. Yeah. That, that happened hundreds of years before this point, right? A couple hundred years before this. And so when he tells Jeremiah, you go stand there, he says, look, remind them, this is not a, a judgment that has come upon your nation and is going to come upon your nation just because the last couple of weeks, I don't like the way you've been living. He says, I've sent my exactly. prophets for, right, for multiple decades warning you. I mean, wasn't it in 1950? Was it you, Brother Jeremiah, or Brother Fernando, who brought up many, many podcasts ago how Billy Graham's wife had told him in the 50s, I think it was, about Sodom and Gomorrah in America? I think that was 1950, even then. Yeah. That if God yeah. if God didn't bring judgment, how did it go? <laughs> Do you remember? If God if God doesn't judge Sodom, he's going to have to, uh, or America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom. And that was in the 50s, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. So to say that God isn't long suffering where we've come to today, that's what he's trying to remind him is I sent my prophets to you early. This is a message that and its fulfillment is a long time coming. Isaiah preached it. Amos right. preached it. Hosea, Micah, right? All of them. But you haven't yeah. listened, that's what he says, right? You haven't Peter, listened. Peter the the apostle Peter would say, uh, it is not that God is slack concerning his return, but he is long-suffering. Because yes. he desires for everyone to come to repentance. Yes, so he's not. And James, yeah, he's not willing that any should perish, right? He's not yes. willing that, that any should perish. So then he comes to verse 6, and this is the message. He says, because you continue to refuse, he says, I will make this house like Shiloh. Hmm. And I will make the city a curse to all the nations. That's incredible because like Brother Fernando pointed out earlier, Shiloh was absolutely destroyed. It was the first place that the temple actually built, was built uh, when Israel first took over the, the promised land. And they built the temple there. They, 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 they made the tabernacle of the wilderness, Moses' tabernacle. Uh, they brought it to Shiloh in the territory of Ephraim, which was Joshua's tribe. And they built this they built this structure around it. And it was in the days of Eli and Hophni and Phineas when the ark was captured by the Philistines and the city destroyed. It, because of their sin, then. And and Jeremiah has the audacity to go into this magnificent place and tell them by the power of God, it's all coming down. It's all being brought to the ground if you do not turn. And that itself is what triggered the response. Can you read verse 7 and 8, Brother Jeremy? Yes. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. And in verse 9, what did they say? Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant 
And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. It's incredible. So after he preaches like what we've been talking about, verse 7 says, The priests and the prophets and all the people, they heard the words and what he was saying to them. And when he finished, the response was they arrested him. Right? It says all the people, that the priests, the prophets, and all the people took him saying, you're going to die. Why? You... <laughs> he shall surely die. So you want to be in the ministry, huh? <laughs> they arrested him in the, in the house of the Lord. That's yeah, amazing. in the house of the Lord. You know, they arrested him and they sought to destroy him. You know, what this speaks about is it shows at, at that moment, just like today, there were two competing ministries and two competing messages, both claiming to be from the Lord. There was division in the house of God. But notice who's in charge here. Who's controlling the national ministry, right? You've got false prophets and priests that hold great sway over the people. Obviously, this isn't a message that they've been hearing, right? Because in verse 9, they say, what? Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord? Why are you preaching this message? It shows that there had only been one message that had been, you know, everything's cool, everything's good, everything will be all right. It was basically what they were hearing. Jeremiah shows up, and they they arrest him. They take him, and then they complain to him and ask him, why are you preaching like this? It's completely against the grain. It shows the one message, Jeremiah's message. It was not what was being preached. And what did they ask in verse 9? Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and the city will be made a, a, a desolation without inhabitant? The message he was, you know, the reaction to me was like twofold, right? First, there's a sense of religious entitlement, right? A control of the house of God at a very high level. This is a control at the national level. This is the control mm -hmm. of the national ministers, right? What were you mm -hmm. going to say? Yeah, right? That's it. Uh, true. Yes, and, and, and they have this sense of religious entitlement. You know, don't come up in here and preach like that. Don't come right. into our, right? Don't come to our platform and lay this heavy trip on us. They arrested the message. Don't you know... That, that, that at the heart of America's problem right now is its national ministry and its international yeah. reach, its television ministries, its mega churches, these powerful religious ruling class elite that has so led the nation in such a place and such a position that it hangs right now in the midst of its turmoil. It has absolutely no idea what's, what's actually happening and doesn't even realize that it's come to the brink of an absolutely midnight hour and a crucial crossroads in the destiny of our nation. And God is desperately pleading and desperately trying to get them and get all of us to wake up. But the resistance, right. what did they do? They, they handcuff him. They arrest him. They try to put a stop to it. And they throw the gauntlet down and, 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 and say that he has no right to, to preach this message. Incredible. It, it, it really does, it, right? It actually utterly shows the control of the national message. That wasn't the message well, of the hour. 
school thing about say, it. Right? How many, how many local news, you know, uh, have done investigative reports and segments on their local mega church, right? And how they're 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 living, you know, high on the hog, as I say, living large, taking the money from the people. And what, and what do the preachers go on and say that next Sunday morning? That they're being attacked by the devil. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. This is an attack of the enemy. Yeah. Like, the enemy had nothing to do with that one. That was all you, man. You know? Yeah. And, and the, what does the church say? Yeah, we're with pastor. With, you know, and yeah. you look at the people, they're, they're crazy. But they You're control right. the narrative. They control the message. Mm-hmm. It's what right. they're preaching that they're getting caught for or caught with. Yeah. It's their message. You know, it is. You know that... Uh, in, in in these mega ministries, part of their staff, you know who's in their staff? It's these um, uh, media <laughs> influencers or media, not influencers, people that control narrative. They pay people to put their name out or to or when they find themselves caught like in adultery or something, someone who will change the narrative. These, <laughs> yeah. And that's what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, a preacher will be caught in adultery and, and like Brother Fernando just said, is the devil is trying to destroy me right now, you know, this ministry right. because of what we're preaching. No. Right. No. You sinned against God. Yes. You got caught. Yeah. And you and, and I think that that's important. And, and, and I think that what we're dealing with here again, to reiterate, we're witnessing the, you know, the, the courtroom uh, you know, debate here. We're, we're seeing at a national level again. Jeremiah wasn't, you know, some little preacher out in the synagogue in the backwoods of Kentucky somewhere. He, God sent him to the nation. God sent him into the very seat of power and influence, both political and and religious influence. And he sent him there with this word. Understand when he stood, he stood with the anointing of the Holy Spirit for a national voice. He came in great power. If Jeremiah didn't have the anointing on him, do you think they would have reacted that way? They would have laughed at him. Get out of here! What? Do you, oh, it's one of them. Cra- Jerusalem has it's the it's the Middle Eastern sun. You know, there's always some crazy guy running. No, it wasn't like that. It was so powerful what he said that it it penetrated to the deepest part of them, and and their response was like you said completely uh it's the devil right why are you preaching like this in god's house (laughs) (laughs) that can't be the lord you know that just can't be the lord that's that's what he that's what they say this is shiloh i mean what do you mean we'll be like shiloh see and then he he took it beyond shiloh and he's in verse nine and he says and the city the capital city jerusalem the capital city is going to be desolate uh, I don't know how deep we can go, right? Diminish not a word? Wow. It's unthinkable to them. It was unthinkable that this this great city that had seen a King David, you know, a, a Solomon, you know, the great prophets, you know, that, that's where they were. And And for you to come up in here and tell us that our entire religious 
establishment and structure is going to be thrown to the ground because we're sinners? And not only that, but our capital city is going to be burnt with fire? My God. Right. Right? You know, and isn't that the same, right? And that's what we're saying. That is the very exact same thing happening in our nation. You know, when 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 the word of God comes upon somebody, you know, and and they declare these things, and I'm not I'm not speaking to you about because we have to differentiate in 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 YouTube. You'll find a lot of people, and I, I you know I call them heresy hunters. You know, they just criticize everything. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about a man of God that comes with the word from the Lord. And 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 so that's the same reaction that we're seeing today. That's not possible. Why do you speak like this? This pandemic is of the devil. Um, you know, um, America is going to have another great awakening again. You know, there's revival. This is America. Can't possibly right. happen here. And so we see the parallel. If we know what the Spirit of God is saying, the very same exact. If we want to see what's going to happen here in America and where we're heading, we need to read this. Chapter 26, what we're studying today, because that's where we're heading. We're already there spiritually, but to a also a little captivity that will come upon our nation. Remember what we were talking about is the types, the shadows, the metaphors, if you will. In the wings, a new power was rising, completely unbeknownst to them, to the people at large. They didn't realize what was happening. A Nebuchadnezzar was on his way. You know, he was still having to clean up some military stuff over there in Assyria <laughs> and in those places. We ain't got time for a history lesson here. But suffice it to say, it was a global power that would dominate everything. And, and, and it is a foreshadow of the Antichrist and the Antichrist system. That's how close they were to it. And they didn't know it. They didn't realize it. It was happening all around them. This, this death of Josiah... It shook the nation. It brought it into a place of turmoil, but they quickly went right back into their sin and idolatry as soon as Josiah was dead. And then Jehoiakim comes on the scene, and and he leads them into further darkness. You have an invasion of the house of God, of false prophets and false priests who had so corrupted the people that when a word of God finally came into all this madness with the, the specter of a global power looming in the wings, they sought to kill the prophet. They did not believe that they could possibly be judged. Yeah, we're up under some bad things. And yeah, you know, it's not as good as it's always been. But seriously, Jeremiah, seriously, are you telling us that God is telling you that the nation has crossed over the line and that he's going to allow judgment to come to such an extent that all the foundations of our country are about to be destroyed and this capital city is going to be burnt with fire? Seriously? They arrested him and said, you shall surely die. And when you read that in verse 8, when they said he was going to die, it was the prophets and the priests that, that, that were teaching this because they were hearkening to the Torah where it says, where if a prophet comes and says, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't come to pass, that prophet shall surely die. That's what they were saying. You shall surely die. They were literally saying that the word that you're telling us right now, it's got to be false. And as a result of that, you deserve to die. <laughs> That's what they were saying. How could, this, how could this place, this 
Jerusalem, the, the, the faithful city, right? How could this, the, the city of great kings, how could this place ever be destroyed? You've got to be a false prophet. And, and brothers and sisters, the last thing that this compromised nation thinks could ever happen to it, even in the face of all that we've seen happen, not just in the last several months, but since the fall of the two towers on September 11, 2001. This has been a long time coming, what we're witnessing right now. And there is, in a sense, a Nebuchadnezzar waiting in the wings, the framework of a dominant world system, reset, whatever you want to call it. The specter of it is looming large, and the church and its national ministry in this hour is totally void of understanding or the word of God for the times. And rather than even remotely acknowledging it, they would rather arrest the word of God like they did Jeremiah and put it on trial. That's what would happen. Jeremiah would be put on trial. And tomorrow this is where we'll pick it up. We'll head into the courtroom. As now God knew exactly everything that would happen and all the dominoes that would fall. Because when we get to verse 10, what we, what we will see is the princes of Judah. Verse 10, when the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came from the king's house unto the house of the Lord. They sat down in the entry of the new gate, and the trial was about to begin. The message and the true word of the Lord is going to be examined and put on trial. It has been. There is no outcome in what we see happening in our time other than what the Lord says will come to pass. And so we're going to see not too many days from now who was right and who was wrong. Is it is it is, is the voices we hearing like the days of Jeremiah saying that the word of impending doom and judgment is just ahead for the United States of America? Is that a wrong word? And is it true that a great revival and a great awakening is coming? And how dare these, these crazy people say that anything could happen to this country or to its church, to its leadership, or to its capital city? We shall see. When we pick it up here tomorrow, that's what happens. They try to arrest the word of God, and a giant trial is about to take place. The political establishment is about to get involved. And that's where we are right now. Everything is being examined. Everything is being scrutinized. God's people are hearing his voice, however. And the time for playing church is over, if you ever did. The time to examine ourselves, all of us, all of us, is at hand. It's now, while we yet can. The Lord is coming to this country and he's extending his hand saying, will you hearken? Will you listen? Will you examine yourself? Will you yet walk in my ways? Because if you will, I will put a stop to what will be inevitable if you fail to turn. Lord, help us. Help us all to seek thee and to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you hear? Can you see? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So, Jeremy? 
What a way to to start our week <clears throat> in the book of Jeremiah. And, you know, the Apostle Paul would, would say a prayer. He would say, brethren, pray for us, he says, that the word of the Lord may have recourse and be glorified even as it is with you. And more than ever, we need your prayers. We yeah. all need to pray for one another that the word of the Lord will have free course in this hour. We pray that you join us tomorrow. We pray that you can meditate on these words that have been spoken today in this podcast. And I believe as we go deeper into the word of God, you'll be able to realize more and more how closely the times of Jeremiah resemble the days that we are living in this hour and where we are heading. Meanwhile, we pray the Lord bless you. We pray the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.